Christmas. So, you know, the thing about Christmas, when you come to a Christmas Day service, it's not like, you know, when you come here, it's not like, I wonder what the preacher's going to preach about today, right? You already know what I'm going to speak about. It's like, I wonder what today's message is going to be about, right? So I thought, let's talk about the Holy Tabernacle instead, okay? No, just kidding. Let's get, we're going to get into, if you're looking for a title for um, this message, it's called The First Christmas, The First Christmas. So here's a question. Uh, someone asked me this question actually a couple of weeks ago, and it's like, I mean, what does, you know, what does Mary and Joseph do? the baby and the shepherds, what's that got to do with us? I mean, how relevant is that for us today? I thought that was a great question. So let's, let's explore that question, and let's explore the very first Christmas. So let's, if you've got your Bibles, you can open with me on, on Luke chapter 1, or open up your devices. If not, we've got it on the screen here, so that's okay. So uh, let us read Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and it reads, In the sixth month, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, um, to be pledged to be married, it's not like it's like today we can be pleased to be married and you might see this, someone's going to get married, then you see on Facebook it's over and because uh, that's how we find all our latest information right on Facebook, what's going on with somebody. And, uh, but in those days, when you're pleased to be married, it's, it's more binding. It's actually really binding. And, and, and the only way to get out of a, of a pledge is it's kind of like a divorce. It is that serious. You can't just, you know what, we're not getting, it's over. You know, I'm walking out. It's not as easy as that, okay? It's a pledge. And then verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this may be. Because when, when an angel of the Lord turned up, especially when you, when you know the old Hebrew scriptures, normally the wrath of God followed, okay? So she's like, okay, there's an angel. What's, what's going on? What's going to happen next? Okay, then, and it goes on, verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You, you're not in trouble, Mary. Just make this loud and clear, Mary. I just want to let you know. Isn't that so good? When, uh, how many parents know that when you call your parents? In, or do you remember when you were that child, you got called in? And, one, and, and if you're not in trouble, the parent will say to you, You're not in trouble. Okay, okay, everything's okay, right? Okay, but, okay, well, he's, okay. But this is so the angel saying to Mary, Mary, you're not in trouble. You haven't been sent to the principal's office yet. Okay, so this is, this is not what, it, what that is. Okay, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be, he will be great and, we be called, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay, and so now Mary, Mary states the obvious. Okay, she states the obvious. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? How is, this, how is this even possible? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, is, she, uh, she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. See, because the, the, the obvious always sets limitation, right? The obvious always sets limitation. The obvious always says it's impossible. But if, if you use what you've got, God will be what you're not. Okay? Because the situation looks impossible, but God has given you the ability to overcome every situation. 
just use what you've got and God will be what you're not. And in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words be, be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now Mary knew this expectation on her, but she was, quite, she was also quite troubled by this expectation. Because with this expectation, with this great joy, will come harsh criticism, condemnation. Okay? Because who would believe a teenage girl who is pregnant that oh, the Holy Spirit made you pregnant? Can you imagine that? If all of a sudden, you know, you're pregnant, and everybody goes, whoa, how did you get pregnant? Oh, we know how you got pregnant. And she says, well, no, actually, it was the Holy Spirit. Right, how convenient. That's a great excuse. I'll use that next time. I'm pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. That, that works really well. Let's, let's carry on to um, Matthew. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And so the word there, she was found, which means they found out that she was pregnant. You, you, it is possible to hide a baby bump, but after a while, it's like, so she was found out. You're pregnant. Mary, how can this be? And can you imagine what was when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant? Can you imagine if you're about to marry somebody, right, and then you find out that they're pregnant? What's the first thing that goes through your mind? Whose baby is it? You know, how could, how could you do this? Can you imagine what was going through Joseph's mind when he found out that Mary was pregnant? What was the Holy Spirit? Really? That, you know, how, how plausible was that? So verse, verse 19, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And um, you know what this means? Because, to be, like I said, to be pledged is like, if, if you're, gonna, you're not married yet, but... To be separated, it's like having a divorce. But he loved her that much that he wanted to do it privately, not publicly. Because in those times, you've done it publicly. They're disgraced. They're shamed. Um, but Joseph decided, you know what? I'm not going to do it like that. I love you, Mary. I don't understand what's going on. I'm confused right now. I, I, I just need some time alone. In fact, whenever you're tired, whenever you're depressed, whenever you're confused, I'm going to go for a sleep. So he goes for a sleep. Okay. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Do you hear what the angel said to Joseph? Uh, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, why would Joseph be afraid to take Mary as his wife? And the reason why that he'll be afraid to take Mary as his wife is because there'd be condemnation upon him on his, um, by his family. He goes, don't you dare take that woman to be your wife. Can you imagine his family? You know, we all know what family's like. When family gets angry at the other half, you, you, you're with that person? Really? Well, that, that, person, had, that, that, that person already had, had children. Oh, you know, I'm not talking about Mary. She's, she's a virgin, okay. But you know what it's like? He was afraid of his family. Not just that, if he, if he then decides, you know what, I'm going to marry her anyway. Can you imagine what everybody else is thinking? Oh, Joseph, that must be Joseph's baby. Joseph and Mary must have got themselves knocked up before they got married. Oh, can you imagine the condemnation that was upon this couple? So here we, so Joseph decides to marry her because the angel tells him, hey, look, it's off the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid, Joseph. What's conceived of her is all of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph takes Mary home to be his wife, even when it was against his family's wishes. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus was the very first Roman emperor. 
the very first Roman emperor. Caesar Augustus issues a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place when uh, Queen Nereus was governor of Syria, uh, Syria. And what's really amazing about this is that, that what I love about this is that Emperor uh, Caesar Augustus, he had no idea that he was unwilling, uh, uh, he had no idea that what he was doing, that he was bringing forth, that God was using him to bring forth a prophecy that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, that God used Caesar Augustus to bring about a prophecy. So Caesar Augustus sends for this, 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 uh, this census that you must return to your, to, your, to your home and where you need to be registered. And everyone went to their own towns to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So they weren't even married yet. So he's taking Mary, who's pregnant, and he's pledged to marry her. They're not married yet. He's, so everybody's not wondering, oh, Joseph, what are you, you're, taking, you're taking her? What are you taking her for? And why is Mary traveling such a great distance when she's about to give birth soon? You wouldn't travel that far if you're heavily pregnant unless you've got nowhere safe to stay. Think about what Mary's family's thinking. You're not welcome in this place. Think about Joseph's family saying, you're not welcome in this place either. So Mary has no choice but to go with Joseph. Verse 6. So by the way, what was Mary writing when she was going to Bethlehem? She was writing on a, on a golf cart, that's right. I'm glad we got that, that sorted. That's exactly it. Let's move on now. Now we've got, now I'm just kidding. In fact, was she riding a donkey? It's really interesting is that nowhere in Scripture does it say that she was riding a donkey. Uh, but anyway, I thought I'd just throw that in. <laughs> so, so anyway, where were we? Verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the, in the what? In the inn. There was no room for them in the inn. And what's really interesting is that the Greek word that, the Greek word for the, uh, that Matthew used for inn, we actually have a real bad translation. That's not actually the, the, the Greek word, is, that's not actually the, the, the English translation of it. Because the Greek word for an inn is, is uh, the Greek word for inn is Pandokian. Pandokian is the Greek word that you'll use for an inn. But the Greek word that Matthew uses in his translation is the, is the word kataluma. Kataluma. And kataluma means a guest room in a private home. That's the, that's the Greek word that Matthew, as he writes this Christmas, this Christmas narrative, he uses the word kataluma, which means a guest room in a private home. He didn't, because Bethlehem was, a, was, in those days, was like this, this backwater town. It wasn't really important. There wasn't any inns in that town. They were just family homes, families there. So when Joseph turns up, if, if everybody's returning back to their relative's house, where's Joseph going? He's going back to your relative's house. If, if you're living in, in Hamilton, but you're not originally from Hamilton, you have a family home somewhere. And you will travel back. Go, oh, you know what, whether you're from South Africa, from Auckland, from Christchurch, wherever. If you're traveling back, where would you go? You would go to your relative's house. So here's Joseph. He's traveling back to his relative's house. But there was no room where, not in the inn, but in the guest room of one of his relatives' house. So can you imagine knocking on the door and it's Joseph with Mary and Joseph and one of his relatives opened the door and, and he's like, 
can we come in? Can we, can we get a room? Mary's about to give birth to a child. And you know, if you've got a relative who turns up to your house and you've got a lot of people there, she's fully pregnant. You would make room for her, right? Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, nephew, you're only 19, you can sleep on the floor. Okay, that's what normally happens. In, <laughs> sorry, Sam, wherever you are. But anyway, <laughs> uh, let's, let's, but here we have it. It's like, oh, Joseph, you should have come in earlier. I'm so sorry, but everybody's come here for the, for the census. Sorry, there's no room. There's no room here. So if, if you, what, a, what a convenient excuse, right? Sorry, if you were here earlier, you would have had a place. Sorry, I tell you what, tell you what we can do for you. We've got a place around the back where we keep the animals because that's, where you, that's the place you deserve to go. So why don't you take her, you can take her and you can go there because that's, that's what you deserve. So Mary gives birth surrounded by animals on the ground. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is born on the ground. So when it comes to the announcement of God's Son, when it comes to the announcement that that God's gift, Emmanuel, that God is with us, that God himself steps into humanity and binds himself in flesh, and he comes as a, as a child, this, this great announcement. Who do, who do the angels go to? Do they, do they go to the big houses in Rome? Do they go to the temple? Do they go to all the Pharisees, Sadducees, and, and all the other sad people we see? Do they go anywhere else? Do we go, do they, they don't go anywhere. Where do they go? They go to the shepherds. Now, when you do a study on the, on the, the shepherds in the time of Bethlehem at the dawn of the, of, the, of the first century, the shepherds were outcasts in Jewish society. They were outcasts because what, what they'll do, they'll take their sheep and they'll, they'll, they live like nomads. Uh, we have another word for them today. They're called Bedouins. And so they'll take, they'll take their sheep and they'll graze their sheep on land that they don't own. And wherever they stayed, and they lived in the fields with their sheep. And they were considered the pirates of the land. Okay, so these guys were rough looking. They didn't obey any of the kosher food laws, which means that, you know, they ate, they ate pork. They ate all these things they weren't supposed to. They had a cheeseburger. Okay, you went, you know, if you, if, you, if you understand what Jewish kosher law is, you can't eat a cheeseburger because you can't put, you can't put cheese on top of a, uh, a beef because that's, 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 that's not kosher. Okay, so these guys are having cheeseburgers out there with their sheep. They're there, they're there. And, and they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't go to the temple. They didn't have any ritual cleaning. They weren't, even, they weren't invited. These guys, you know, let me understand about these, these shepherds. These guys, they had long braids. These guys, they had, they put, they had coal around their eyes. Like they darkened their eyes, and they had tattoos on their faces. This, these, these were outcasts. They weren't welcome in good Jewish society. So when it comes to the announcement, who does God call? Who are the first witnesses? He goes to the outcasts, those that aren't, who aren't good enough to be with everybody else. He goes to the ones that no one else wanted around. And he steps into, cause he steps into our mess and says, I've come. This is why I've come. So he makes this announcement. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, 
keeping watch over the, their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, because when angels turned up, something bad, you know, normally there's, a town was going to be destroyed, something was going to happen. And these angels said, do not be afraid. I bring good news. That's what gospel means. This is what the word gospel means, good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. It wasn't, I'll bring you great joy that will cause joy for all the, just the good people. Just those that, 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 that obeyed all the kosher laws. Just all those that got their lives together. I bring great news that brings joy to all people. To all people. That's my time. I'm just, I'm just about done. I'm getting there. For a Savior has been born for all. All who? All you cleaners, all, your, all you checkout operators, all you McDonald employees, all you solo mums, all you solo dads, all you outcasts, all you no-names. There is a Savior for you. Verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a place where the animals eat from, in a manger. You know, when the angels said this to the shepherds, they weren't shocked to hear that. You know why? Because you know where these shepherds put their babies when they're born? They put their babies in a manger. So these shepherds go, he's like us. He's just like us. So these nobodies, they ran like the wind to Bethlehem. <laughs> and you know what? Mary and Joseph, they were surprised. You know why they were surprised? Because no, when, when they thought nobody wanted them around, they were surrounded by a bunch of nobodies. You know, we're, we're all just a bunch of nobodies trying to exhort somebody. Amen? That's all we are. That's all I am. I'm just a nobody who's exhorting somebody. Because the less you need God, the less you see God. And that's why he went to the shepherds. Because if you don't need God, you won't see God. But the less you need God, the less you see Him. The more you need God, the more you will see God. I love what 1 Corinthians says in, 1, in chapter 1, verse 27. It says this, God purposely chose what the world considered nonsense in order to shame the wise, and He chose what the world considers weak in order to shame the powerful. He chose what the world looks down on and, he, and despises and thinks is nothing in order to destroy what the world thinks is important. Let me ask you a question. What is really important to you in your life right now? Meeting those deadlines? Uh, making sure everybody's happy around you? What's really, really important to you? What's really important to you? 
I don't often, um, actually what I've been doing, I, I've been, when, I've been, when I do my Bible study now, I'll, I'll, what I love to do is I love reading from different translations. Sometimes it can take me ages to get through a whole book in the Bible because I'll read it in one translation, then I'll read it in the same chapter in another translation, then I'll read it into another translation. I, I just kind of enjoy doing that. It just kind of like uh, spices up my Bible reading life. <laughs> um, and um, so what, what I've done is I started, I started reading, uh, and so I've chucked in the message translation in this. I'll, I'll read NIV, I'll read the, the King James, the New King James. The New Living Translation, the Good News Translation, and I threw in the Message Translation. Why not? Let's throw it in there. Have a good read. And you know what? What? what I uh, and sometimes I'm, I'm like, sometimes I read, sometimes I read the Message Translation. Ah, oh, that's not actually what it says. That's what I'm. This is what I'm thinking when I'm reading this. But I love that what the Message Translation says about First Corinthians chapter one verse twenty-seven. And uh, let me read that to you. I, I love the Message Translation of this verse. It says this. Isn't it obvious? That God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses. He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That, that makes it quite clear that none of you can get by without blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate, a fresh start, comes from God by, by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Amen? If you're going to blow a horn, let's blow a trumpet for God. And I love this. You, can you imagine Mary and Joseph? Nobody wanted them around, surrounded by these guys. And look, you got to understand, these guys, didn't, these guys, they got long braids. These guys got tattoos on their face around this baby that was born, celebrating, worshiping. So to you who feel anonymous, overlooked, you have a Savior. He knows you by name. To you who have brought shame or felt shame, you have an advocate. See, as we begin to travel through life, and you know, when we begin to succeed, let me tell you something. I'm not saying, oh, what, you know, do we, we can't enjoy success. I'm not saying that at all. Don't get me wrong. But what I am saying is this, is that when we do begin to succeed, it's great, because I've, I've, been, I've been from one end, and, and we're in a great season right now. But you know what the, the greatest travesty would be? will be that, that, that we're now I'm, things are going so good. We're, we're living in our own home. You know, we went, we went from housing New Zealand to now owning our own place. We went from not owning a car to now we own our own car. And we're in a place of, we're in a winning season right now. But the saddest thing in my life would be that when I'm in this season, that I no longer need God. That I no longer need God. So my prayer every day is that, God, may I need you every day. God, I'm doing, I'm doing really well in my finances. I'm doing really well with my children. But Lord, I do not want to be in a place where I don't need you anymore. I remember praying for somebody and, and they said to me, oh, I'm just going through a tough time. I really, I really want to make sure that, 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 I need, that I really need God. I want to see God. And I, I pray for them. I said, but I want to pray that you need and see God even when you're in your winning season. Because let's not get comfortable. 
Because Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. So when we get comfortable, we no longer need the comforter. So in your winning season and in your losing season, may you remember the God who loves you by name. Emmanuel, God with us. God who stepped into his creation and he bind himself in flesh. And on the cross, he dies for our sins so that whoever believes in him shall be called children of the living God. The less you need God, the less you see God.